get around people that are doing things that are different from your parents. Get around people that are doing things that are different from those that you grew up around because my my podcast is about marketing careers and it's it is absolutely insane the number of people that start a career path because that's what their parents did, that's what a family friend did because that's all they've ever known. And inevitably through working in their career, they fall into something else and like, oh, this is what I'm actually passionate about. So again, my my re recommendation and advice is get around people that are doing things that you have no familiarity with. Because I can almost guarantee no one is in high school saying, I cannot wait to grow up to be a business to business marketer. I didn't know what B2B was. And like, that's a massive <laughs> industry in and of itself. So you know those people that you don't see for several years after high school and then all of a sudden you you see them on somewhere in social media and they are just absolutely crushing it. You're like, what what is going on here? Well, this guy I saw on LinkedIn, he was one of the first kind of LinkedIners, so blame him for getting me into it. But this guy has taught me a ton about LinkedIn and podcasting and everything like that. And I'm excited to have him here. Mason Cosby, welcome to the show. Yeah, I am not going to lie. It was absolutely absurd uh when when you reached out and it was like man i have not talked to hampton in probably six years and then we just hopped on a call and restarted a relationship and it's been i, I think a, a very life-giving relationship both ways so i'm thankful you reached out thankful um, that we've had the opportunity it's been so cool um to watch you grow and additionally i have a confession of some insecurity that i do occasionally probably once a month check your follower count just to make sure that I have more followers because I started like a year before you, but you have just massively grown and you will overtake me very soon. Oh my gosh. Quit that dude. That, that's hilarious. I, I, I remember Mason reached out to me and just gave me some like amazing tips and feedback for, you know, what does it look like to, to do this whole LinkedIn thing? And then when I saw him doing a podcast, I was like, well, Mason's doing a podcast. I got to do a podcast. Now. <laughs> and so then he grace, graciously talked to me for like an hour and was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. And so um, if you like, if you, if you like my podcast, give me the credit. If you don't like it, blame Mason. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> kidding. but dude, what? I want to, we got to rewind to high school here real quick, because for those of you listening, we went to Vestavia High School in Birmingham. Great school, but we were lacking a little bit of school spirit at one point. And Mason, I, I, I kind of want you to take this story over from your perspective. I mean, just how you got involved with the school spirit and stuff. And do not hold back, because I will fill in the gaps if you don't brag yourself. <laughs> well, to, to Hampton's point, um, I started high school with having little to no school spirit. Um, I intentionally picked a church where I was the only person at that church youth group that went to my same school. Um, so I, I really didn't like, I, I just went to school. I was involved in band and really outside of that, that was, that was my worldview from a high school perspective. And somehow, some way, um, we, we had a teacher that was named Mr. Bittinger that did in all of our pep rallies, this rebel yell. And Mr. Bittinger was quite literally about to blow out his eardrums because he just yelled so loud and had done it for years. And his doctor said, you are not allowed to do this. Um, so there was a gap and we had a number of people that tried to fill that gap and it, they did not do it super well. Um, and very long story short, I just asked someone, I don't even remember who I asked, but somehow, some way I was told I would be allowed to do the rebel yell just once. 
And then I did it like a hundred times. Uh, <laughs> no one, no one else did it after I did it the one time. <laughs> hey listeners, I have a quick gift for all of you. I want you to hear Mason do the rebel yell. So I spent some significant time digging on Facebook to find this video and you have got to hear what I'm talking about. But fair warning, it's extremely loud. You might want to turn your volume down. Hope you enjoy. By the way, Mason, couldn't help myself from doing this. Sorry if this makes you mad. It's just too good. <laughs> And to be quite frank, what, what I find to be funny about that situation is I was so upset, so frustrated, and so ticked off at our school. Um, growing up, I was pretty significantly bullied, and I hated that I was bullied and did not want other people to experience that. So for whatever reason, I thought, I'll just take all, all of my frustration and anger at our school by yelling into a microphone and getting a crowd of about 2,000 people to erupt in school spirit. So like the actual impetus of me becoming a school spirited person was actually taking out anger and frustration and trying to create a scenario in which other people did not experience the same thing that I had experienced, which then inevitably turned into me becoming the literal director of spirit for our school. So that is that story. Golly, man, that, and, and I hate that, like the, some of the struggles and some of the bullying like led to that, but it's cool how like. I believe even God orchestrated that to create an opportunity to even rally some some school spirit together and maybe help some other people and stuff. But I mean, is there like any uh, any any lessons you learned like from that experience or or some good memories or, or moldings that you feel like happened because of it? Yeah, I mean, as director of spirit, I had to to organize all of our pep rallies and what I did, and it was difficult to do, but I did develop a spreadsheet in which every student would only participate in a pep rally game a single time. And we did one pep rally game. It was the dumbest thing, but it was so simple. And it was doing a rock, paper, scissors tournament in which we got quite literally 10% of the school. There were 200 people involved in a rock, paper, scissors tournament. And like, it was just this roulette style. We got down to the very end and like people got so into it because in a very low stress way, we were able to involve 10% of the school. And again, most people at, at our high school, not, I, would, I shouldn't say most, but many people at our high school did feel a little bit invisible and felt like, okay, it's only the, the most popular, most um, public facing people that ever have the opportunity to participate. And what I really tried to do was create an environment in which everyone was welcome and everyone could participate. So I think the lesson that I learned is create opportunities in low stress ways to actually encourage and foster people to get involved and to participate. Because what, what I learned through that is that those were the experiences where people would actually come up to me where I, I learned stories years later. Like I'll have people message me that were like, you were the only person that actually involved me in a school-wide thing. And like that helped me boost my confidence. So again, anything that you can do to, in a low stress, low risk way, encourage others to actually get involved and step out of their comfort zone just a little bit 
will continue to help them build their confidence and actually step into more of the person that they could be. Wow. That is so cool. And, and I was there for all of that and was not even thinking about any of that at the time. And that shows a lot of, you know, immaturity on my end, but it's really cool that like you were already thinking that way. And it's, that doesn't go away. I mean, like in, as adults, as working professionals, I mean, those, those same things still happen. And so I think it's cool to be able to say like, how can we get everybody involved? Um, that, I mean, the, the, the culture of a school is the same thing as like a culture of an organization. Like they're all important. And one of the most important parts is making sure that everybody feels seen and cared for and unified. And so you just even taking, um, some steps forward in that I know had a huge impact. So thanks for what you did for the rebels, man. <laughs> it was, it was a good time, but thank you for, for letting us reminisce for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good times. Anyways, we'll, 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 we'll move on from high school now. So you left Birmingham, went to Mississippi, right? Any, um, tell, tell us about a little bit about college and how you figured out how to be this big marketing guy, huh? Uh, the reality is of college, I wanted to be a youth pastor. Um, I had no intention of actually ever going into marketing and to, to put it quite bluntly, um, I met a girl and recognized as much as I love being a volunteer youth pastor, I need to pay some bills. Um, so I ended up working at a, a parenting magazine and it was a, it was kind of a, a hidden Christian organization. So again, there was never publicly facing that there was a Christian organization, but all that that parenting magazine talked about were, were Christian values, and it was actually distributed through the public and private school system. So I saw a lot of value in actually essentially being an ambassador for Christ in the work environment. And I think that's what brought me a lot of comfort transitioning really what, what I thought was going to be my life's calling of ministry into more of marketing, because uh, I sold advertising. And then inevitably, uh, COVID hit, we got laid off, and um, at that time, I had gotten engaged. I had just gotten a house. Um, it was a teeny tiny townhouse, but I still had a mortgage nonetheless. And um, really push came to shove. Like I had to make money because I had just literally gotten engaged 20 days prior. Um, so through that, hit the pavement. Um, about four months later, ended up landing a job at a software company as their first marketing hire. And through my laid off process, just dove as deep as I could into, into digital marketing. So realistically, like that's how I landed in marketing was I wanted to go into youth ministry, but I ended up getting a degree in marketing because that was something that my parents viewed as, uh, this can have applicable skills outside of ministry in the event that you don't go that direction. Um, I'm thankful for that wisdom in retrospect and, um, ended up through that process and realizing I can be an ambassador for Christ. Like I can still be in a ministerial role by just being a light in the workplace. Um, but I also really love marketing. Like it's super fun. So anyway, that's, that's how we got from Mississippi to marketing. Wow. From Mississippi to marketing. That's gotta be like a, that's gonna be your book one day, huh? <laughs> um, man, that, I, I think what's interesting is a lot of times like, we're trying to find our, our dream job or our calling or whatever it is. And for you, it seems like you just said, well, I got to try this marketing thing. And then I, I don't know if like you immediately fell in love with it, but at least from my perspective, it seems like you really dove into it and really gave it a shot and learned. And maybe there were some moments where you sort of questioned, but 
I, I just think for somebody that's listening, that's in college trying to figure out what to major in or freshly starting a job, they don't know if they like it. I mean, do you have some sort of encouragement for people as far as like finding it, whatever it is that, that they, that they end up being passionate about yeah. with you? I mean, my, my recommendation is to take a step back. I wanted to go into marketing or I wanted to go into ministry because from, again, my worldview, my youth ministry was massively impactful in my life and changed my life. And what I recognized in myself is that I wanted to help people. Now, I thought based on my own worldview and my own experiences that the way to help people was through ministry. And that is true, but that's not the only way to help people. So again, from my, from my worldview, from my perspective, when I was setting out on that, on that path, that's all I knew. And my recommendation to people is get around people that are doing things that are different from your parents. Get around people that are doing things that are different from those that you grew up around because my, my podcast is about marketing careers and it's, it is absolutely insane. The number of people that start a career path, because that's what their parents did. That's what a family friend did because that's all they've ever known. And inevitably through working in their career, they fall into something else and like, Oh, this is what I'm actually passionate about. So again, my, my re recommendation and advice is get around people that are doing things that you have no familiarity with. Cause I can almost guarantee no one is in high school saying, I cannot wait to grow up to be a business to business marketer. I didn't know what B2B was. And like, that's a massive <laughs> industry in and of itself. So again, we, we come at it from the perspective of what we know. So get around people that, that help you expand what you know. Uh, it's a great way to think about it. I, I mean, I think so often we're just drawn to the people that are like us um, because they tell us what we know and we can participate in conversations and everything. But it's like when you put yourself out there, it gives you an opportunity to learn so much more. So I love that. Now, can you talk to me about um, LinkedIn? I know I've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but maybe maybe I'm unaware and like a bunch of marketers were already doing it. But how did you just decide like I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in with this LinkedIn thing? And what did that look like early on? Yeah. So what I recognized when I got into B2B, so I landed in B2B specifically through the software company. I, I recognized that there's a lot of people in B2B that are on LinkedIn and obvious, like if you're on LinkedIn, that's a very obvious thing now, but if you're not, then there's a bit of an epiphany for me personally of like, well, this seems to be where B2B people hang out. So what I, what I started to try to do was create content on LinkedIn that was helpful for those in marketing. And at that time I worked at a lending software company. So I had kind of taken this financial marketing slant. Um, I was very bad at it because I didn't know what I was talking about. And I, I tried to be, what I tried to be was someone that I'm not. And I tried to be this like industry expert in financial marketing. And the reality is I had been in it for like three weeks. I had no idea what I was talking about. So inevitably the, the shift that I started to take was this concept of learning in public. So I'm just a guy that's doing marketing that's like doing my best <laughs> and I just kind of bring people along for the journey. Um, and what I've found out through that process is, um, most people are also not experts that are not, you know, 20 year veteran Titans, um, that are doing their best to figure it out. And when you create content that is quite literally this concept of learning in public and stumbling forward, you find a bunch of other people that are trying to just do their best as well and are stumbling forward as well. So that was the shift for me from a content perspective. 
So if you've been with me from the beginning with this podcast, I think episode one, two, and probably everyone, I've said that this is me learning in public. And I believe I mentioned your name after it because that's where I got this from. And if I haven't to this point, it came from Mason because that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm talking about leadership. I haven't had some sort of like formal leadership role for 20 years where I'm leading tons of people and all of that. But I think that that's a lesson that all of us can learn, um, especially in this younger generation of like don't act like you know everything. People can see straight through that. But if you just recognize that if you make yourself like available to learn and you be curious, I think that people um, would love to have conversations with you, which I, which I imagine, Mason, that is that what turned into your podcast? Like you wanted to start interviewing people and ask them about it? Um, I wish I had a better story on the podcast, but quite literally, um, there was another agency owner that he and I had, had been buddies for about a year at this point. And he was like, hey, I got LinkedIn Live. Does anybody want to do a LinkedIn Live with me? And I was like, I'll do a LinkedIn Live with you because I had also gotten it and not done anything with it at that point. And then we started to, like, get some guests lined up without any kind of a topic. It was like, we'll do something on marketing. It'll be great. And then he ended up backing out <laughs> and saying, like, I actually don't have time for this. So you can run with it. Like, we've already got the guests lined up. You talk about whatever you want to talk about. So I was like, well, so also at, at this point, I had gotten really, really passionate specifically about career growth because... Um, one, I, through this company, this, this software company that didn't end up being a great place for me to work. Um, it's a very, very poor work environment and ended up landing in a great organization. Um, but mainly actually not because of what I'd done in my day job, but because of what I had done freelancing and in my spare time and on LinkedIn was actually what landed me in this next role. So I really wanted to start talk about career growth and acceleration and to help people recognize your organization will only give you access to the opportunities that benefit them the most because they're paying you to benefit them. But if you truly want long-term career acceleration, you may need to do things outside of your day job that benefit you and your own skill sets. So I was really passionate about that. And I wanted to interview marketing leaders to understand, am I completely off base or is this how you've become a CMO? So, with the with the podcast and the interview set up, um, we made that transition and said, "All right, this is gonna be the marketing ladder now." And the the title of the marketing ladder actually came through LinkedIn. I just kind of put up a poll and said, "I've got seven guests lined up," and I listed out the guests. I was like, "I've got no name, no topic. Think I might do marketing careers. Here's some title options. What do you guys think?" And the marketing ladder ended up getting like 95% of the votes and there were like 500 votes on it. And I was like, this, that was like my first big post got like 8,000 views. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I thought I had, I literally told my wife, I was like, I went viral. Like it was crazy. Um, I have since legitimately gone viral, but like it's again, that just shows you it. LinkedIn is just a really fun place when you actually engage in the community. My favorite part about that is I don't think any of this would happen would have happened if you wouldn't have said, sure, I'll get on LinkedIn live with you. And I think the little lesson in there is a lot of times we feel like we have to wait till we have all of our ducks in a row or, or we know all of the right answers before we like try something new. And if you wouldn't have put yourself out there, then like, I don't think I, I doubt any of this would have ever happened. Right. I quite literally didn't get a microphone until episode 13. Like I, I didn't get any new equipment. I didn't get anything. I literally used free versions of StreamYard and the free version of Spreaker for like the first 10 episodes. Because this was just, let's try it. I edited in GarageBand. If you go listen to the first like 13 episodes, audio quality is terrible. 
to this day, I do not have intro and outro music. Like, I just don't really care on that front because I'm more focused on building the relationships and providing the high level quality of content versus like the quality of production and the production will inevitably come, but yeah, that's down the road. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love that. And I think that's a good message because how many times do you meet someone that's like, yeah, I've got my business name. I've got the logo. Um, I've got uh, t-shirts, but it's like, what do you do? They're like, I don't really know. <laughs> and you did everything in the, in the correct order, which I think is really wise. Um, okay. Can you just talk to me over uh, about since you started this podcast, landed a few new jobs? I know the last like year and a half or so has just been crazy in a good way for you. Uh, Tell us what's happened. So when I launched the podcast, I was a digital marketing specialist at a company called Mojo Media Labs. Um, And really it was, it was through kind of what I had started to do. So I I was running marketing programs there, which is good. And then separately from that, I also started this podcast. Um, The podcast was actually a proof point to prove to my boss that the value that a podcast could bring to a business. so we started the podcast in October. By the time we had actually hit December, we had seen some inbound conversions or people trying to schedule a call that were saying, I heard about you guys through Mason Cosby or through the marketing ladder. So again, there were actually some, some pretty clear proof points already between podcast and LinkedIn. So that resulted in me actually getting a promotion to from digital marketing specialist to marketing director. To be quite frank, nothing really changed. Um, I just got a different title and a, and a slight pay bump. And then through that, inevitably, fast forward to about May, we get acquired by a company called Gravity Global. I transition into a director of growth role. So I now own in t- the entire um, awareness to acquisition for new business development. And what we've been actually able to see is I have sourced $800,000 in revenue between personal brand and podcast. Um, and from a pipeline perspective, we've seen about $2 million in pipeline that are, that, that is influenced by personal brand or podcast. And the way that I'm able to track that is if they come inbound and they specifically say, I saw Mason Cosby, or I listened to the marketing ladder, or the other thing that's been really interesting is when somebody comes on the show, they're typically marketing leaders that are at some of our best fit kinds of customers we get to have great conversations. They then end up needing support on their marketing. They ask for help. I work at an agency. I send them over to our client services team and they end up working with us. Um, The other thing is that through the marketing ladder, I've been able to help people get jobs. So when I help people get jobs, they then land in a marketing department that has problems that needs additional support and they come to an agency. So that's kind of all the ways we've been able to track the $800,000 in revenue about two or 2 million in pipeline. That's incredible. I I mean, I, I, cannot even believe how much has come from you just showing up and doing this podcast, doing a great job with it. I mean, I, I think that is, that is amazing. So, um, I mean, what, what is, what is your role looking like right now? Like I know things have obviously shifted for you. Um, you know, what are you excited about in this new role? So within the new role, um, what, what I'm very excited about, I also do now manage our sales process. So what excites me about that is, Previously running the marketing, someone would come to me and say, hey, I need help with, with our marketing. And I'd say, okay, here's a link to go schedule a call with the salesperson. And then the salesperson would take it. And our salesperson previously was fantastic. Absolutely amazing individual. But what I'm thankful about now is that I sit in a, in a sales seat 
um, for a fairly large portion of my job is I actually get to take the relationships that have been developed and I get to see them to fruition of them actually starting to work with our, with our company. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy the opportunity because yes, it's a sales seat, but realistically, like I am still a marketer. So it's really just two peers having a conversation that ends in a contract. And I, I just really enjoy the, the opportunity to really work through the nuances and actually say, look, this is the high level concept that we talk through, but like, how does this apply to your business and how can we help you do that? So that's, what's been really exciting. And then additionally within gravity global, um, Mojo Media Labs, great agency, but we were about 25 to 30 people. That was a very boutique agency. Um, I now work in a 600 person today and ever expanding world's most awarded B2B agency that's on a global scale for different continents. Like it's just, the, the scale has gotten very different. So I'm very excited for the proposed career paths that are in front of me by some of our different executive leaders um, and to see how I can continue to help a lot of people on a, on a much larger scale now. That's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for you and just fired up to, to see what ends up happening. I mean, guys, the, Mason is, is 24, 25 years old or so. He's not like 30, 35 years old. And like, it seems like every year is taking these massive growth opportunities. But here's the thing. I think one of the main goals that I have for this show is for um, for us, if you're younger in your career, to really take ownership of it. Because uh, background for those of you who don't know, my job at WildSpark is amazing. And I'm trying to get organizations, executives to invest and develop their people as leaders. But then my message to you, if you're younger in your career in college or something, is don't wait for your organization to do that. Like you've got to take ownership of it yourself. And so Mason has done that better than really anybody that, that I've, I've, I've met my age. And so, I mean, I think where did that, where did that come from? Like, where did you find like that motivation or that, or that drive to just say, Hey, like I, I'm, I want to learn, I want to grow this, is what I'm going to do. So I, I am a big follower of the Dave Ramsey financial baby steps. So after I graduated from college, I had my six months emergency fund. The next step for me was to get a house. So I put a down payment on a house and had a small townhouse. And again, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I had gotten engaged to somebody that I was absolutely in love with. And it said, I'm going to be able to provide for you. And when we, we were, we were planning to get married while she was actually um, wrapping up her last semester of college. So her, her working and providing financially was not an option. Um, so in the midst of COVID, when I got laid off, I had I had a seven month window before we were married, and I had a four month window before she was back in the same city as me. So I looked at that time horizon and said, I have to get this figured out. I have to be able to make a good living. I have to be able to provide for my family. Um, so. I know that many people spend their twenties doing other things like having a lot of fun. And to that end, if that is the direction that you would like to go more power to you. Um, but for me, I, I wanted to find joy in my work, but also be really, really good at what I did and be able to provide for my family, which again, when you get engaged at 21, you kind of accelerate the maturity scale because I had to get more mature. I had to, provide for a family. Um, and again, had, had 
very, very real bills to pay. So from that perspective, I mean, for about two years from that moment, I've, I've been putting in about 80 to 100 hours between day job plus continued education plus like side hustling plus, I mean, I just, I really put my head down and worked. Like the only way to get experience is to do the work. So if you want to accelerate the career, you have to put in the work. And again, the, the other thought process is people base the years of experience on the idea that you're working 40 hours a week. But if you're working 80, which I don't want to say, like that should not be a lifestyle, that should be a season. But if you end up working 80, you've massively accelerated by the nature that you're just putting in more time to learn the craft, to understand. Um, so again, I was doing a lot of execution work, but I was also spending a lot of time just soaking up as much information as I could online. And like at this point, like I watch a lot of YouTube, but the YouTube is typically educational videos on like, how do I do something in marketing? How do I grow financially? How do I um, be a better husband? Like I'm, I'm focused around continuing my own education across the various areas of my life so that I can be the best version of myself. So again, I think that's a paradigm shift for a lot of people because they focus on different kinds of entertainment. But for me, education is entertaining. And that's where I find most of what I actually consume. Phenomenal answer right there. I'm going to be going back and listening to that again. Um, can you talk to me about how, so you've, you've done some form of work for like 80 hours a week, but like you get married and what is that? I mean, has it been, has it ever been a struggle to, um, you know, <laughs> shut, you know, shut work down and like be a, be a very intentional husband. What, what is, what does that look like since you've been married? Yes. <laughs> um, the answer is very much so. Yes. Um, I mean, there, so the benefit that I had is when we initially were married, my wife was still in college. So she had homework and was, she was in nursing school. So she had a very labor intensive schooling. So I was able to, um, do my day job, do a little bit of continued education. And then I also freelance for probably 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, the way that I framed it to my wife is if I'm going to freelance, I'm going to make sure that it's at a, at a rate at which you say it would be stupid if you didn't do that. So I actually, this is going to sound insane, but don't, don't judge me for it. I did freelancing for the purpose to learn, but I also did it at a trade off of spending time with my wife. So I priced myself with a year of experience in marketing at $275 an hour, but I was able to get that. And when you end up working 20 hours a week at 275 an hour to do the math real quick on that, I mean, we're making an extra five grand a week at that rate. <laughs> so my wife said, makes sense for you to go do that. So I did that. And like when you have clear priorities in mind, then it's easier to balance that. But again, it was a trade-off. And what ended up happening is after two years of that, there came a point where I recognized I need to make a shift. Otherwise, this is going to become my permanent lifestyle. And like, to what mm -hmm. end, to what am I doing this? Um, I, I really started this from a perspective of genuinely, I think fear of, I need to be able to make a, like get a job so I can make ends meet. By the time we were two years in, I had already doubled my income from the initial job, like more than doubled my income. So it wasn't a, a question at that point of like survival. I had just fallen into a habit. So what I've done now to help with that habit is, I still realistically probably work, you know, 
35, 45, sometimes 50 hours in my actual day job, depending on the week. And then I probably spend five to 10 hours doing other professional development and being a part of the, of the B2B community. So this time I've kind of backed it down to like 45 or 50 hours in a given week. The occasional week is 60. Um, but I do it in such a way that I communicate very clearly with my wife and she has other hobbies. So I view this as kind of my hobby and she goes and does her hobbies. And then I have a very clear, I shut everything off at about 6.30, 7 o'clock. Um, I have deleted all of my email, all of my Slack, all of my teams, everything is off of my phone. The only thing my phone does is phone calls and text messages and internet. So, I mean, it's an iPhone, but like I take everything off. And then when I shut my laptop, I'm done. So I, I've had to put in place intentional boundaries. And I'm even now considering, like, I don't take my laptop out of my office because I want to be sure that I, I keep it contained to a specific physical location. So from that perspective, you just need to put in place boundaries for yourself. Otherwise, you're going to end up continuing to live a life that's 100 hours a week. And you're going to look up and have missed some pretty major moments in your life. Mm, that's really good advice. And I love that you've put boundaries in place because I think a lot of times things don't happen on accident. Like it's really easy to build bad habits and like years can go by in your life without even noticing that. Um, I, I know we're kind of past the 30 minute mark. I'm trying to keep it around there, but I want to ask you real quick, cause you mentioned Dave Ramsey. I know you're a big Ramsey guy. Um, I mean, what, how did you get into that? What have you learned? Are you still like sticking hard to it? Oh yeah. Um, the, the way that I got into it is my parents mentioned Dave Ramsey a lot growing up. They were Dave ish. Um, so I just generally knew that Dave Ramsey is a person that does financial things. When I got engaged, I had on my bookshelf, um, total money makeover. I just had it on my shelf for a while. So I read total money makeover, which outlines the seven baby steps in pretty great detail. And they just kind of kept reading. So Dave Ramsey has another book that's not as popular, but it's even more detailed. That's called the total guide to money. And what I recognized for myself is. I will inevitably highly likely start my own business. I don't know when, but I know that I will likely go in that direction. And the goal for right now in my life is to de-risk my life financially and to set up the foundation that in the event that hypothetically I go to launch a business and it totally fails and I end up having to go to a day job for the duration of my life that I didn't bankrupt my family. So again, I've taken a long-term view because now I can make, to be, to be quite frank, I, I've gotten job offers that are 75% raises from what I'm currently making. And I can turn them down because I know the financial picture of what I'm trying to build. And I've lived below my means and we live on one income and the rest of it is just paying down our mortgage. We'll pay off our mortgage on our house in like three years. And again, at that point, I've really de-risked wow. our life. Um, I've set ourselves up from an investment perspective that we could retire probably at 40 if we wanted to. Um, but again, I've de-risked our life to make sure that when the insane opportunities come up that are once in a lifetime, we can actually take them. Um, and again, I can make really, really well-informed professional development decisions. I can do things for free to like help people like the marketing ladder. I can pay to do the marketing ladder because I have the financial stability to afford it. Because 30 bucks for me is not a huge deal. 30 bucks a month for me is not a huge deal. But if you have a ton of crippling debt, $30 a month can really add up quick. So 
That's, yeah. that's really why I do it. That's amazing, dude. Um, I, I think we are all learning a lot from you here and, and you are wise beyond your years, dude. So I, I appreciate you sharing everything with us. And um, again, guys, really don't think I'd be doing this podcast for information. So shout out to him. Um, we've talked about LinkedIn. We've talked about your podcast. I mean, is, is there anywhere you would prefer for people to find you or maybe even reach out to you if they have questions about you or something? Um, LinkedIn is definitely the main one. So if you would like to connect on LinkedIn and shoot me a message, always try to respond as best I can. Um, and if you want to accelerate your marketing career, the marketing ladder is everywhere as well. Um, I interview top marketing leaders that are actively hiring with the intent that you can learn from how they built their career and also then get hired by them. So uh, find that everywhere. If you don't find it somewhere, please let me know and I will try to fix that. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. All right, folks, time for reaction steps. I have five of them. Number one, stand in the gap for other people who are struggling or being bullied. Mason, even though he was bullied, did that for other people, which was showing very early signs of how great of a leader that he is. And he's still doing things like that for people today. Number two, you don't have to be in ministry to be in ministry. <laughs> and what I mean, is like you don't have to work at a church or for a nonprofit in fact, if you're a believer or follower of Jesus, you're called to do that wherever you are. And so Mason sets a great example of doing that. Three, get around people that are different from you and learn from them. Mason would have never been in marketing if he didn't do that. Four, learn in public. Do not be afraid to put yourself out there. And then five, don't be afraid to take risks either. If Mason never said yes to doing a LinkedIn Live with somebody one day, he wouldn't have a podcast and doing a lot of things that he's doing now. That's all I got for you. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead. I'll see you next week.